Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win. And support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ, the official ETF of the NCAA. Invesco QQQ is proud to sponsor this episode and even prouder to provide access to innovation for the last 25 years. Basketball has had innovations over the years, too. We're seeing the game played in new ways every day. Learn more at Invesco.com slash QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promoting for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Please welcome former Watford goalkeeper and Brentford goalkeeper Richard Lee and his co-host Matt Beadle. I was like, oh, I'm going on Mark Howard's podcast. And then in that, I saw the look in his eyes. Changing of balls, mm. how it affects your gloves. It's still baffling the idea of actually putting the Vaseline on the gloves. As you guys know, if you could just mix it up and introduce franchises like Clean Sheet Club, like Keeper Capers. I was going into some games feeling so nervous, thinking like, why am I putting myself through this? I certainly had it in my career at times when certain managers maybe weren't my biggest fan. It's great talking about football. I've done it pretty much my whole life. Bywater, Stephen Bywater called me out once. He's a nutter, by the way. I said something like, oh, it'd be great to get Kasper Schmeichel on. And then he reached out on Instagram and said, yeah, oh, come on. Just sat back, uh, you're going, I'm nothing to do with this. <laughs> Ended up signing for them at sort of 11 years old and I was there till I was 27. And Scott Sterling with the save! <laughs> Had that have gone in, do I play for the club again? Like, ruptured shoulder, four screws in my elbow, dislocated left shoulder, ruptured bicep, broken cheek and eye. And at the time, Ben Foster, in my opinion, was the best free agent on the market. Hello everyone and welcome back to the Yours Mine Away podcast with me Mark Howard and my mate producer Ben. Today I'm joined by not just one but two top GK influencers uh, and also podcast hosts, fellow podcast hosts in the Goalkeepers Union. Uh, Please welcome former Watford goalkeeper and Brentford goalkeeper Richard Lee and his co-host Matt Beadle. Good morning. How are you doing? Yeah, really good. Thank, thank you for coming on, for both of you for coming on. I know you've invited yourself on, Matt. I just wanted to address this. <laughs> straight away, that's gone right in there, straight away. Not technically the well. way that it went. A quip on our podcast was made. And so the story goes that he never got in touch with me. It was you that listened to it. Yep. Yeah, I listened brilliant. to your podcast, uh, like I said, on my commute every Monday or Tuesday morning uh, to get my goalkeeper roundup of news. Uh, and yeah, I heard you over uh, speaking about uh, my this podcast and I thought, you know what, I'm going to get in there first before Richard does text me. <laughs> well, do you know what? I, so when we were having that conversation, you actually you had no idea. You had no idea yeah. that I was coming on. It suddenly just sprung to me. That's like, oh, I'm going on Mark Howard's podcast. And then in that moment, I saw the look in his eyes and it was like a look of jealousy. Yeah. <laughs> it was a look of jealousy in that moment. So that was, no, I'm glad that he's on. The amount of opportunities, by the way, that he just lets pass oh, him know. by. 
over and over. Rich, when you speak to that person, make sure you just you nip in the podcast. When you do this, get a bit of cross promotion. Right, so we went on. Uh, so I went on Ben's yeah, podcast. Yeah, this is and where that, it all stems that's from. All stems from. So and I, I went. I've gone the entire <laughs> podcast. You know, you get that moment where obviously when you, I guess you have it doing this podcast when you're so like focused on saying the right thing and, and having a good conversation. It was only then when like the hour long podcast finished, I thought, you know what, I've gone the whole thing and I haven't mentioned the fact that we also do a podcast. So I knew within seconds I had to call Matt and I'm like, Matt, I'm so sorry. I've just done the whole podcast. I haven't mentioned you once. Not once. No. So I think he's forgiven me. A little bit of jealousy as well. A little bit. Yeah. <laughs> By the way, delighted to be called an influencer. I like to be in that bracket. But, but you are. Obviously you're in the media, you're, you're highlighting what all aspects of the goalkeeping community as a pair, I would say that we, us three, we are all influencers in that goalkeeping community. Mm. But it's a big thing. We, we talk about it all the time. And yeah, the more people, especially because of the knowledge of goalkeeping, you know, I'm sure we've had the conversation. I think every goalkeeper's had the conversation where you watch so much of the punditry and yeah, more often than not putting it on mute just because the level of analysis can be that well, that bit less. It can be quite poor from a lot of the ex-outfield players that are given. So I just think the more people that are talking about goalkeeping go into a little bit more detail about goalkeeping, what's good, what's bad, what's, uh, you know, because again, rather than just talking about saves as well, you know, you see it on uh, commentary all the time where, of course, they'll pick out a good save or a penalty save, what have you, but it's those intricate details that people just don't see. And on your podcast, you really hate analysis mm. of goalkeepers. I struggle with it. You really both I struggle. Do, <laughs> do you know what? It's because I, I watch it and, I, I, I again, I, I mute it so often now because it's just, especially when, and again, a goalkeeper watch it, but it's more the fact that it then influences so many people and then you you hear the same things, the same comments because naturally we'll listen to a lot of the top pundits and we will take on board their opinions. And especially when it's, I guess it's that. It's where, in the same way that I wouldn't talk about an outfield player because I, you know what, I can see what a good goal is. I can see what a good touch is, but I don't know the details as to what makes a great left back. So when you've got then people that haven't played in goal talking about it and, and the level of detail they're given is so minimal. And then that becomes the masses. You suddenly go on, you know, social media and everyone's hammering a goalkeeper for something and, and we'll have seen it and seen it so differently. It's, yeah, I do struggle. There is two phrases of, the goalkeeper should have done better oh, yeah, or yeah. can't get beat at your near post. And yeah. it sends shivers down our oh, spine. It's it's that. And it's, again, without breaking it down, yeah, goalkeeper should do better. It, how? Just how? It, that's fine if he should, but just how? Give us a little bit more, but it is just, oh, he's got to save that. Yeah, He's got to save that. Okay, fine. How? And what's he done wrong in that moment? And it's it just stops there. And I guess that's the the bit where... Now, like yourself, doing what we try and do is just just break it down a bit more because, of course, no goalkeeper goes out there purposefully looking to make a mistake. But more often than not, there's a reason behind it or something they haven't done or have done. And just to give a little bit more detail. There's always something that affects our decision making, whether yeah. it's a player in the way, unsighted, whether your footwork's just not been as good. The pitch could play a part. Well, do you know what we were talking there? And I feel like I should be interviewing you actually <laughs> after the game the other day. Um, obviously, I know whenever this goes out, but the, of course, the, the home game against uh, Sheffield United. But like that being an example, you watch it on TV and yeah, it looks great. Great atmosphere, two teams up for it. But the bits you won't see is, you know, the ball is that much different to the regular ball you use. The fact that the conditions, you know, playing there, wet, windy, you know, the, the environment being what it is, the pitch not being great. All these different things, it does affect your decision making. Do you hold? Do you parry? So sometimes you might parry when you probably would hold on a, a better day. But again, that's things that you wouldn't necessarily see, but a goalkeeper sees. But that's it. Uh, well, I've spoke about it, this on there before about changing of balls, mm. how it affects your gloves. Mm. And what people don't realise is that you would have played a game on Tuesday with a normal ball that you play in in the league, like week in, week out. And then you actually only train Thursday and Friday before you then play a match with this total new ball. 
So two days prep. One of them's normally a second day recovery. And on a Friday, you don't do a lot of work anyway. Yeah. So you've actually only touched that ball maybe 30 or 40 times before you then play a match again with it. Yeah. And you're thinking, well, this is going to kick differently. It's going to handle differently. Even the way that it responds off the pitch is so different. Yeah. So like the, the new mitre ball in the FA Cup, uh, it's, it's very plasticky. And so when it is wet, it's even more slippery. Even for the outfielders, they notice that their touch gets away from them a bit more because of the, it's anti-friction mm. and it just slides away. So as a goalkeeper, it's 10 times worse. Yeah. Well, do you know, we had the, the chat with Casper. Yeah, he said exactly the same yeah. thing. He said the Europa League ball a couple of seasons ago was like a molten light, like a molten layer over the top of it. So it's so difficult. But he went into the process of actually wearing different gloves for different games. Do you do, do, you do that? No, I, I will then just change my gloves for that occasion. So if it's really wet, I'll wear uh, really old gloves. And then because I find that the friction on my old gloves will be better with a plasticky ball. Uh, but then those mitre balls, if it's dry and the pitch is dry, I have to wear a brand new pair of gloves because it's a plastic ball against a latex that's dry as well and it, it actually responds better. And then for the league, we've got a leather ball that responds to gloves that have been worn two or three times. Mm. So it always is changing and you're always thinking, this isn't appropriate for this game or this ball, these conditions. So like you're always thinking as goalkeepers and you, you take gloves for every eventuality. You have a Vaseline on gloves? I have. We've talked about this. Yeah. <laughs> and it actually happened at the World Cup. The Holland goalkeeper did it during the World Cup. Yes, he did, yeah. Uh, yeah, so I've done that. Uh, I've tried the old glove glue sprays yeah. and everything like that. And it just kills everybody else's gloves. But it's brilliant for a one-off for yourself. Yeah. Have you done that then? Do you know what? I have, it still baffles me. It still baffles me the idea of actually putting the Vaseline on the gloves. and it make, But it does make sense. I've tried it only once in training. And certainly with like an older pair of gloves, you can go and get a little bit more yep. life out of them. And certainly for... But I know there's so many goalkeepers now that have said that they do it. And it's just a just a thing now. Yeah. and that, But that's the thing is the other goalkeepers in that training session are fuming. Because that Vaseline sticks to that ball oh, and then course. ruins their gloves. And yeah. they haven't... They're inadvertently ruining their own gloves. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, that happens all the time. Right, let's have a little chat about your podcast then. Like I said, it's very news orientated. You do a, a really good roundup of the week of the Clean Sheet Club. Uh, Matt, first of all, right, your introductions of Rich. Can we go through them? <laughs> the sultry voice of Richard Lee. Every week it changes. It changes, yeah. It was something that came about organically, I think. I think we started just, I would just use a descriptive word. And then we thought, do you know what? We'll do an intro to every single podcast that we do just to rather than going straight into the action we'll talk a bit more about rich i guess and it was a way of because we haven't done a podcast with you alone about your career so it was a way of trying to just eke that in throughout every single podcast that we do of course if something funny happens that he does that is ordinarily i don't know a bit odd <laughs> i'll make sure i bring that up and yep. then a conversation comes out of it but as you know the goal is to always bring it back round to goalkeeping in some way. Do, do you know what? You wouldn't believe how hard it is though sometimes to find a voice. He's like, Rich, what have you done this week? I'm like, nothing, nothing. I've literally sat in my office all week on the phone. He's like, we need something, we need something. So we, we can spend like 15, 20 minutes at the start of a pod just thinking of uh, something to talk about. And that, that is your voice. Normally yeah. it's like the sultry tones of Richard Lee and I'm Which like oh I'll my take. god that's so cheesy but <laughs> you actually I've started to engage with that for opening gambit really yeah well that's that's actually the goal we were talking about this the other day because yes we cover the action and that's great to do that of course that's important but 
after a while, I guess there's only so many ways that you can describe a certain save that's been made or a certain incident that might happen in a game. So if you can just, as you guys know, if you can just mix it up and introduce franchises like Clean Sheet Club, like Keeper Capers, like yeah. GKPI that we do on occasion, that just, it breaks up the podcast a little bit. Obviously, you started back in 2018. Uh, why? why? Why did you want to spread the voice why of goalkeeping? So we, because we met a few years before that and... We'd always talked about doing something goalkeeper related. So the idea initially was to have an all singing, all dancing goalkeeper platform, like a one-stop shop for goalkeeping. But that's tough. It's tough to do as other platforms who have since tried to launch have found that it's quite difficult to do that because you're coming up against the major players. So it was during the World Cup, actually in 2018. And I think it was after, no, I know, it was the game involving England and Belgium. I don't know whether you remember, it was the last group game and Adnan Yanazai, curled one in I do, yeah. beyond Jordan Pickford and Lee Dixon at the time started talking about some guy he knew. I just got a text from a mate who's told me that he's gone with the wrong hand. And we'd seen so much horrendous goalkeeping analysis, as you've already mentioned before. But I think that was the, the turning point where we thought we've got to do something on this. Someone's got to stick up. For Someone's the got to say something. And at the same time, even though we're talking about pundits and how bad it is and the fact that we do have commentary corner, I think the key thing for the podcast is to also remain balanced. And I'm quite conscious of that as well when we hammer the Sky Sports pundits, when we hammer people on BT Sport on Match of the Day. It's also to turn around and go, well, actually, maybe this is why they've said it. And that's why I'm there, essentially. Rich is the goalkeeper. I'm the voice there to, of reason. Yeah, to mm. counteract that occasionally. Otherwise, it just becomes, you know, you're shouting and you're defending goalkeepers from the rooftops, which for goalkeepers can be nice to hear. But I think there also has to be, to give it an element of credibility, there has to be some opposition sometimes. Mm, I think also like circumstance kind of helped to that as a, a bit as well because at the time we were both doing a bit with uh, Love Sport Radio, which was, it's not around now, but it's around for a few years. And so again, I guess uh, we were doing the show and then next to it, there was another studio that just wasn't being used. And so it was quite convenient. We'd finish our, our show, we'd go next door and we had the place to ourselves and they let us use it. So it was kind of a really nice place to get things going. And then it kind of grew from there because then we went to a different studio and now, you know, effectively we can do it remotely a lot. You know, we've got the, we bought the equipment and we can do it remotely and it's just now part of our week. And it's, it's ended up being quite a nice uh, addition to what we do with the agency. Uh, it's ended up being really good for that. But actually, yeah, it's more, I think now, regardless of that, we just obviously carry on doing it more for the fact that I quite enjoy going through all the footage each week. And he'll send me all the footage. So it's quite good for me to just see all the goalkeepers week in week. So it's all my, uh, a bit of homework each week. And then to be able to talk about it, it's, uh, yeah, it's just something we enjoy doing now. Obviously, I've started this one off as trying to stay in the niche, but obviously entering some of the realms of YouTube viewers and stuff like that. But my whole point of this was I want to show people everything else that goes on around goalkeeping that no one actually does talk about like why we change our gloves for certain balls and I've listened to obviously you and Casper talk about it like endlessly which is amazing because it's inspirational for for everyone even myself I was listening to it going oh I do that and I do that uh, so yeah I wanted that uh, this to be our platform to show a slightly different side of What's it? What's it all about? Do you know that? And that was another thing, actually. I think back to when, yeah, we'll have this when we we're fourteen, fifteen-year-old goalkeepers, and you're coming through, and you've got the nervousness of games, and you know, some games you feel great, some games you don't feel so good. You're getting the criticism from, you know, parents, from from managers, from not quite knowing how to deal with it. So that's the other bit is that, you know, I think as well, like young goalkeepers listening to this podcast, listening to to what we do, just to give that that actually you're not. 
you're not alone in how you feel. Like that was a big one for me actually. When so I wrote a book, it was a good while ago now, but I spoke a lot about that side of it where, because at the time I kind of was going into some games feeling so nervous, thinking like, why am I putting myself through this? Thinking that I was the only one, you know, you see all the other lads there, they're all happy, joking, laughing, thinking I'm definitely the only one feeling like this. But then it was amazing by writing that and actually doing this podcast, you re soon realise that, Everybody has it in different ways and some deal with it better than others, but it's, yeah, everyone has it. And so even that as well, I think just to be able to, as you say, get the thoughts of a Kasper Schmeichel, some of these other guys, and you realize that it is just, uh, it is something that is consistent, but again, some are able to deal with that side better than others. I think that's why the, the goalkeeping community's become what it is. And mm. everyone thinks that we sit around a, a fire playing a banjo and talking about <laughs> gloves and latex and that. But I mean, sometimes. Yeah, yeah, that, yeah. That, that does happen. That yeah. is part of the, the membership. <laughs> but yeah, I think it's just our love for what we do isn't shared by the outfielders at yeah. all and they don't really understand it. Yeah. So then we get isolated because we train on our own and we do wear gloves and we kind of are playing a different sport. Yeah, it's a sport within a sport. Yeah, so I think that we get branded as the weird ones or mm. we're crazy or eccentric and it's just because it's the lack of understanding. It is that. We are a bit weird. We are weird. I mean, when you actually consider what you have to do as a goalkeeper, I mean, the amount of injuries I've got and I'm sure you're the same. Like, it is, you do have to, that whole being crazy... I, I kind of always counteract that with, yeah, you have to be brave, really, really brave. But then similarly, I think you have to be so analytical because yeah. you're constantly looking at what's going on. You constantly have to read what's potentially going to happen, what situation. And again, that's the kind of stuff that would never be picked up on commentary. You know, how good is your communication, seeing what's about to play out, what you can do to affect the next five, 10 seconds of the game. So I think it's that real blend of bravery, a little bit of craziness, but also being so analytical in terms of what's going on. And hindsight in goalkeeping is mm. the easiest thing for everyone. Oh. oh, it's so easy to go, if only I stepped one yard left or if I if I moved my body this way, I'd have got my, my diving better. Mm. Or Hindsight it's, kills goalkeepers almost, but it's also a way of us reflecting and analysing our performances. Well, it's, it's, it's fine lines. You know, you actually think that one that you dive fully to your right. In fact, I was talking to a goalkeeper literally about this yesterday. Uh, full stretch to his right, gets a hand to it, hits the post and goes in. And then people are saying, oh, I should save it, gets a good hand to it. But of course, if that hits the post and goes the other side, he's the hero and they win the game. So it's kind of one of them where, you know, I'd always talk to lads about be more focused on the process than the result because, yeah, look, moments happen. It's an emotional sport. It's a reactive sport. You can literally be the hero or the villain based on an inch. That being a good example, that hits the post goes out. You win the game 1-0. You've made the world-class save to win the game. Yet it goes in and you're getting a five in the paper rather than a nine. You know, and it's it's just such fine margins. Um, and, and that's the bit that also can make it quite tough because you're going into games. It's completely unknown whether you, you could feel great, but you could be the villain for the day. And that can ultimately happen in the last minute, in the first yeah. minute. You just don't know when that's going to come for a goalkeeper. And yeah. that's what's the, the hardest thing is you can't prepare for that. You just have to be able to... Alex Welsh, uh, I think mm. you know really yeah, well as well, but he always told me that goalkeeping's like picking up stones. He goes, the more stones you carry around, the heavier you are and it will weigh you down. Mm. You just need to be able to learn to get rid of those stones if you make that one mistake or no matter when it is in the game and just feel as light as possible and carry on at what you're doing. And that, that stuck with me for my whole career. That was I think you must have told me that one was about nine years old, and I still know that quote. It's a really good one. I'm going to steal that. That's yeah. really good. <laughs> that, <laughs> that's really good as well, though, because that's what we've got from the pod in terms of the guests who all have different techniques, right? We had David Coles on, who has a black box. He, he calls it a black box, where he you know, put it away in a black box, the error, and then he'll go back to it, open it up, but then once it's done, he'll lock it, and then that's it. It's disappeared forever. You've got the, you know, what's the one you do? Put a put it in a balloon and, and let it balloon. fly away, <laughs> stick it on a train and let it go down the track or something. But everybody has different yep. techniques of, of how they cope with that. Yep. My mindset changed when I had kids and that was the easiest thing because if I made a mistake in a game, I'd go, what would my kids think? Mm. And they'd go, dad, shut up and get on with it. 
So then that, that was easy for me then because I'd always think, oh, if I did something wrong, even if it was just a, kicking a ball out of play, I'd go, would my kids care that I did that? Mm. No. Right, next one then. Yeah. And that's how I'd learned to, like, as my coping mechanism. Because when I was younger, I'd overthink things, everything. I'd, I'd take football home with me. I would want to talk about it all the time. Mm. I'd analyse training. And then, obviously, once kids come along, you're like, you go home and that's the hardest bit of the day. Yeah. Well, do you know, actually, when you break it down to, like, in, in real simple terms, ultimately, all you can do is your best. As long as you're continually improving, so you're doing your stuff in the gym, you're doing your stuff psychologically, tactically, technically, you can just maximize. And really, the games will sometimes will be good, sometimes will be bad. But if you can, uh, I mean, I worked with Brad Friedel at Blackburn for a year, and he was a really uh, interesting one for me because I saw that level of consistency. It didn't matter whether he played well or not so well, just so consistent day in, day out. And then you almost just accept that, as I say, you'll have some good times, some bad times, but as long as you're you're, you're constantly focused on the the process and, and kind of ignoring the the bit that's difficult now is the noise because whether it's Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, whatever it might be, it is constant and everyone's got a, a view and an opinion. So if anything, in a perfect world, you'd almost block yourself from all of that because you've kind of got that as the second you read something negative about you, it doesn't matter if, even if consciously you know it doesn't mean anything, it kind of hits you before you're able to process the thought. So yeah, if anything, if you can kind of avoid that and continually focusing on that, because as you say, it's, it's a game at the end of the day. And that's the bit as well that, you know, naturally we care about what we do. So you will beat yourself up a little bit, but as best you can, just to remember, it's just all I can do is my best. Do you think that that's played a part then since obviously, I would say our icons as goalkeepers mm. that we looked up to, there was that level of consistency, that, mm. like Van der Sar, Peter Michael, uh, David Seaman, like they all had this air of consistency and they were always good. They were always a six, seven out of 10. But do you think social media now plays a part? Because subconsciously, even if you're not looking at it, you are aware of the heat that you do get. I think it does because I think, and again, without getting too geeky, I think, the, like I say, the moment you see something or read something or hear something, it's like the, whatever, it's the conscious thought, the unconscious, you, you feel it before you think it. So it's one of them that you read something and naturally it might instantly get you annoyed or get you upset or get you whatever. But then it's then having the capability to dismiss that. So if anything, if you can, especially when it is a fan giving you stick and look, it's different if it's your goalkeeper coach or it's someone close to you that knows you inside out, then of course, take it on board. There'll be a real positive reason behind it and you know they want the best for you. But a lot of the time, of course, fans, they've got opinions. We've all got opinions and that's fine. But then it's the, the moment that you're almost taking that on board. It probably goes back to what you said about the stones as well because you will just weigh heavy. The more and more negativity you see. And actually you think about some of the best goalkeepers of the world. David De Gea, I bet he's probably had more negativity than any goalkeeper out there at times. And yet he's still playing at the very, very top. So my advice is as best you can ignore it. It is tough, though, as you say, because you literally check your phone and there's five different platforms where people can contact you now. I think a great uh, way of describing this is Courtois for the Champions mm. League final. He really showed his emotion afterwards yeah. by going, people doubted me as one of the best goalkeepers in the world. So clearly, even the, the very best in the world are still overthinking it. And they're also that negative... Uh, energy is affecting their performances at times and obviously he went out and showed that why he is one of the best in the world uh but yeah even like at that level it happens and down to kids that are now get got their own tiktok have got their own instagram and they're putting up their own clips and getting negative like criticism from that we should all be highlighting each other and like promoting each other yeah well even and i guess that's where and i, I get that without knowing Courtois, i get that impression from him where and that's a great tool if you can use the negativity in a positive way almost like i'm going to show you you know, and I think that's, uh, I, I certainly had it in my career at times when certain managers maybe weren't my biggest fan. Uh, and then actually using that as a right, do you know what, I'm really going to show you here. And I think if you can do that, that's also a nice skill to have. I think as well is that 
goalkeepers set markers, especially now you see, you mentioned the likes of De Gea and we spoke about this on the podcast all the time is that goalkeepers like De Gea set markers. He's been fantastic for Manchester United for a long period of time and had set the bar. That bar was so high that he'd set that as soon as he comes down slightly from that, all of a sudden he's getting pelters. Lloris now, prime example, getting pelters. Courtois for a little bit set that bar. But as soon as you start to perform to a level that nine goalkeepers out of 10 would absolutely kill for, all of a sudden you're getting pelters. And it happens for outfielders as well, I suppose. You look at Socek for West Ham, who came in and hit the ground running because his levels slightly dropped in the seasons succeeding that, all of a sudden he's getting stick from fans. So it's so difficult when you set that bar, that over-familiarity of a goalkeeper. I also think uh, with the De Gea one, his game has had to change because of the way Man United have had to play. Over the last 10 years, they've actually not been very good defensively and he's had to make loads of saves. But like now that they've got defensively a lot better, one mistake is getting really highlighted now. And that is what happens with goalkeeping. You make one mistake now when you're not doing a lot of things. Like Alisson, if he makes a mistake, everyone's like, oh my God, Alisson made a mistake. And it's like shocking. I think that's one of the biggest things that I've seen that with Lloris. Lloris has been in a team, a Tottenham team that's had a quiet goal. And now he's being asked to do a few more things and he'll make that one mistake now because he's getting a bit more overworked than he's used to. And that's totally changed the way he's at to now play. Well, I saw I saw that the other day because I think he's, he's second or third, I think, in the league for most saves yep. this season. So even law of averages, it's like, well, you're having treble the amount to do that Alison Edison have got to do, then in theory, you're going to make three times as many mistakes as well as three times as many great saves, etc. I do think what Matt said there as well about, I do think that with over-familiarity. You know what it's like when you go into a new club and especially if you're stepping in and the previous goalkeeper maybe hasn't had the best time, you're almost stepping in on the front foot and people love you instantly. It can happen the other way. I had it when I joined Brentford and they had Wojciech Chesney before me. And so I'm stepping in some massive shoes and then you have a couple of bad games. And, you know, but again, a lot of it is is that, you know, it's... it's uh, uh, and then I think it is that over, once you've been at a club for a long period of time, it's almost like the great save becomes expected. Yep. They'll kind of know the sort of saves that you're making and that then becomes the norm. And as you say, those those mistakes do get highlighted. And even when you do make that good save, it's, oh, any keeper would have saved that. Yeah, of course. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Easy. Yeah, good hype for a keeper. Yeah. Right, yeah. back to your podcast then. Uh, I want to know more about the Clean Sheet Club and especially your rap, your song that you have to do each week. Oh, man, yeah. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> well, do you know what? And he only sends that sometimes to me. Sometimes I can tell you're cringing oh, when you do it. It's, it's difficult. And sometimes the thing is, you get into it as well. Sometimes it flows. It, so he, he only part. sends it to me, he literally sends it to me the moment I do it. So he'll be, uh, he, again, a lot of the time we're not able to do the pod together. So we're doing it remotely. So he'll send it through to my phone. So I'm reading it for the first time. And again, he loves this. It's so Matt Beadle. These kind of and so and then I'm reading it and I, I realise at the end of it that I've said like three or four of the names wrong. I've not really understood what songs any of these are. And so yeah, he loves it. The idea, right, is to because I come from you know a, a journalism creative-ish background. It's great talking about football. I've done it pretty much my whole life. But I just like to add in just a touch, a smidgen of creativity, and that's what the Clean Sheet Club is. I mean, it's a great way to bring in. We used to have some music in there as well, a bit of a pun on a line, on a song or something. You love it. He loves it. I mean, we hate the cheesiness, don't we? Yeah. <laughs> you have to get fully I, into character. I've had to do a few things on this podcast, a few adverts, and I'm like, oh my God, so cheesy. And you're like, right, now just fully commit to it. Make sure you know it's as cheesy as it can possibly be. Yeah. Oh, I, I struggle with it, especially, <laughs> and he loves it. Every single week he loves it. But 
Um, in fairness, it's become a bit of a thing. Like the yeah. the amount of people that do contact us about that, and I think this, I'm, I even know Lawrence Vigaru's top, isn't he? Now and we've got he's top, it was yeah. obviously Freddie Woodman for a long time had a great start great to the season, and uh, he's a few off it now. But it's it has actually become a bit of a thing. And it's interesting the names, like the names that were there last season, the names that they're this season. Just uh, it's quite a nice little franchise, isn't it? Do you get Do you get any goalkeepers stat correct you? Uh, I don't know. Have we had that before? Maybe with clean sheets, potentially. I think mid-interview we did. Who called me out once? It was uh, Bywater. Stephen Bywater called me out once. Who's a nutter, by the way. Yeah. Brilliant, brilliant chat with him. He did his on a balcony in Mallorca, didn't he? <laughs> Which is everything we could have wanted from that one. Stat corrected, not so much. I like to think that I get that right, but I accept that sometimes, you know, I don't. But I think the beauty of the clean sheet club of some of the franchises we do and the podcast as a whole as well, is that we hear from certain goalkeepers that we never knew, listen to it. And that's how the podcast has evolved over the years. And what is happening with yours already, I guess. We started the podcast with the vision, or my vision, I guess, because you're influenced by so many podcasts that you see out there, that we'd have loads of funny stories, loads of silly goalkeeper chat, loads of career chat. And that's initially how it started, kind of going through a goalkeeper's career. But we soon realised that it actually evolved into more niche goalkeeper chat. We got psychology and all of a sudden we're talking to Carla Kimi about meditation. We're talking to David Ford about all kinds of stuff, Japa meditation, whatever it is that he does. And I think that's the beauty of how the podcast has evolved. It's really changed where you dream of having hundreds and thousands of listeners, but in reality, it's a podcast specifically about goalkeeping. It's very niche. But what you then have is a core group of really loyal niche followers who really ha not hang on every word you say, but really want to listen to what it is that you're saying. And all of a sudden, like you still meet goalkeepers now. You say, oh yeah, yeah, listen to the pod on Monday. Oh, I'd, uh, yeah, every week there'll be, uh, who is it? Uh, well, without naming it, but yeah, a couple of goalkeeper coaches that will send me, oh, I'm so glad you said that about such and such. Well, even even Casper, that that effectively came around and I can't think exactly how it happened, but we, we were talking about Casper Schmeichel on the pod and I've kind of always had contact with Casper, but never been... You know, it wouldn't be one where we're texting each other, etc. But then he reached out to me on Instagram. So I think we sort of said something like, oh, it'd be great to get Casper Schmeichel on. And then he reached out on Instagram and said, yeah, I'll come on. And actually, he's come on twice now and, like, yeah, unbelievably detailed. Like, the conversations with him, and I, get, I guess we get this, because then you talk to all these different guys, and they've all got very different methods, whether it's, uh, again, Tom Heaton, someone who's very... Uh, very detailed. Nick Pope's got a very different mentality towards it, a little bit more laid back with his approach. Casper's literally everything to the to the detail, to the absolute uh, perfectionist almost. So it's just really fascinating to then dig into. So you say, rather than it being, it's always a fun chat, but it ends up being something that, again, probably what we said earlier, that idea for a 15-year-old goalkeeper listening in to actually understand and understand there's not a right and wrong way. You know, like a, another example would be a Ben Foster. You know, Ben Foster's way is very, very different to a Casper Schmeichel's. But you know what? Both work for them individually as personalities and they've able, you know, been able to maximise a career on the back of it. Uh, one last thing about the clean sheet club then. Obviously, we pride ourselves. Like their goals, like, it's like a striker scoring goals. Uh, throughout my career, I know all my stats for clean sheets. Like, and I, I've always done that. And I think it is something that all goalkeepers were like, we judge ourselves on our clean sheets over a season. And if we've kept one in three, we've had a good season. And I've always like went, uh, I need to make sure at the start of each season, I set goals for clean sheets. And even this season, I think I'm on 12 this season so far. I've been like redundant in a lot of the games. I still count them. I'm like, yes, yeah. that's a great clean sheet. That done nothing. Yeah. <laughs> and then you walk in afterwards and you're like, yeah, just because my organisation was that good, you, I've kept a quiet goal. And yeah. you take the credit for it anyway. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. But I, I, 
I think I've, I might be wrong. You'll have to check this, Matt. I think I played 199 games. I think I was 62 clean sheets. Like, but wow. it's kind of but even just knowing that, like you say, this is where I suppose the geeky side of goalkeeping. It's amazing yeah. because you're right. It's that one at the start of the season, like the challenge. Certainly in the when you've got a 46 game season, that kind of idea. If you can hit 20 clean sheets, that'll normally mean promotion. Promotion. Yeah. You know, so even that is quite a nice little target. Again, there's only so much you can control with that, depending on the team you're playing in, but. Yeah, it's a nice goal to have. Yeah, as we speak, I'm on 131. Are you really? Yeah. See, this, wow. this fascinates me because not every goalkeeper, I think, because sometimes it shouldn't be they're a marker, liars. Right? If you're going to say they don't count, they're liars. Really? <laughs> <laughs> well, to be, I, I know Viggs definitely wants to win it, doesn't oh, he? Yeah, he's, yeah, he mentioned yeah. it last yeah. time. He def, he's, he's keen to win it. But I don't know. Some of the goalkeepers we've spoken to, because I mean, you say it yourself, that it shouldn't always be a marker of how you've performed. Well, and if people do look at that and go, well, he's only kept X amount of clean sheets, that's not actually representation of the game that you've played you know, a lot of them now are asking me so we get the stats for every week for the was it xg uh, or expected goals against so it's that kind of like are you above the line below the line um and so we get the, the table through pretty much every week and i know a lot now are wanting to get that table through every week to see where they are on that because they realize that a lot of clubs are looking at that now yeah that would come into obviously your agency side and the scouting mm. reports that people are over analyzing all this data aren't they yeah well it is it's I still think the goalkeeping data isn't where the outfield data is, but it is improving. All that. So the the two bits I understand, uh, I suppose, a lot are the, the expected goals against, which is getting more and more accurate. Obviously, it's based on where the shots are coming from, based on the situation. The other bit is the goalkeeper's positioning. I've learned a little bit more about this, where there'll be like a positional error almost. So again, it's based on thousands and thousands of shots coming in from certain areas and where the goalkeeper decides to place themselves. So are they exactly where they should be according to the the, uh, the the stats and what is the optimum position to be in in that moment or are they a yard out are they two yards out so then that's also another big sort of indicator so those are the, the only two really because again even past completion well it's going to be very different if you're playing in a team that are booming at 70 yards or if you're just playing six yard passes all the time so I think uh, that those are the two sort of key metrics that I know that a lot of, uh, a lot of clubs do look at now. Right. Before we uh, talk about both of your careers, uh, we're going to crack on now with our quiz. Okay. I've already briefed you. I'm ready. Goalie or no goalie. Uh, so it's out of 10. Okay. I've got five international goalkeepers and I've got five either made up names, made up things, items, could be anything. It, it, I'm designing this to trick you. And so any listeners and viewers head over to our YouTube and check our leaderboard. Uh, I think, is it eight at the moment? Mm, masterclass from uh, young O'Keefe, Connor O'Keefe. Really? Uh, scored a nine. Yeah, nine, yep. yeah, yeah. And you wow. don't really want to drop any lower than uh, Mr. Alex McCarthy, who came in at four. So that, that's okay. sort of your range there. Okay. Made up things. Well, but this is, sound like names. Well, exactly well, that. Could be. We're still going to find out. Well, okay. Okay, I mean, four, I kind of feel like even if we guess every single one, we should get five. You should, yeah. So If you said goalie for every single one. Yeah. <laughs> but then it would be also quite embarrassing if you said goalie for everyone because yeah. of some of the f people that are mentioned. Okay, let's do it. Right, number one, Alexander Dominguez. I'm leaving that to you, Matt. I mean, Alexander Dominguez. It's a real name. Yeah. It could well, be. Yeah. I mean. I mean, I don't, I've not heard of him, so I'm I don't say, know well, who I'm he plays say for. made up because I haven't heard of him. Are you? Go on, what are you saying? I was I was thinking it could be goalie, but no, we'll we'll go. Go on, we'll go well, with neither you. Neither of us heard of him, so no. we're going made up. He is a goalkeeper, Ecuador and Deportes Tolima in Colombia. That is a bad start. Okay, okay. should have got Alexander. That. Yeah, I thought it sounded overpopulated that name, so mm. I was like to throw that one in there. Yeah, okay, go on next. Number two, Adam Wiles. This is terrible. I'm letting you answer this one. Adam Wiles. I 
Uh, I'm gonna the fact that was he? Uh, how many times does he play for Ecuador? Alexander Dominguez. He's not. He's not a. Did he go to the? He was in their last squad. He went to the World Cup. Yeah. Did he? Oh, he should have known, known that. that. Really yeah, should have known yeah. that. You know, I'm uh, now thinking. I'm thinking. You know, deal or no deal. Yeah. And at the end, you get the chance to swap the box. <laughs> yeah. So the fact that the last one was a real goalie, yeah. I think the the odds are that this one's made up. Do you think? It's, again, uh, deal or no deal. No, I, I'm going to say that it's a goalkeeper again. Okay, go on then. You being overruled? He is not a goalkeeper. <laughs> that is Calvin Harris's real name. Is it really? Oh, <laughs> no. Oh, horrendous. Oh, dude, it's a terrible start. We've already lost. I the... should know that. I've... I've interviewed him before. I should know. That. Oh, you, yeah, that's, oh that's a great oh, name drop. Just, yeah, drop that one. <laughs> need that story coming up. <laughs> <laughs> right. So number two so far. Number three, Casey Murphy. I mean, this is really tough. It's a tough. tough. Yeah. Oh, I'm, I was hoping for Peter Schmeichel. No, I was, <laughs> okay. And they're current internationals. Casey Murphy. Everyone does this look into my eyes for like yeah, to see if there's yeah, yeah. everybody does it. Yeah. Big G was Casey the Murphy. Oh, so they're all current internationals. Of course, we didn't factor that in. Mm. Casey Murphy. Okay, so if it's Casey Murphy, you're looking at your home nations, Australia, US, Canada, potentially a few others. Great mm. bit of logic there. Mm. I'm going to say Casey Murphy is a goalkeeper. She is a goalkeeper. She, oh, of course, she is. There you go. She yes, is okay. USA and North Carolina Courage goalkeeper. Perfect. One out of three. There we go. We're on the board now. Yeah, you're off and running. We're now. Catching, catching Alex McCarthy. <laughs> Number four, Giancarlo Esposito. <laughs> I mean, I, you know, I, I, we followed a pattern so far. We've gone goalkeeper, not goalkeeper, goalkeeper. Yeah. So we're going so, not goalkeeper. Yeah. Okay, not goalkeeper. He is not a goalkeeper. Okay, he is game. better known for Gus Fring in Breaking Bad. Ah. He is also in Kaleidoscope, the current TV series. There you go. Gustavo Love that Fring. show. Breaking Bad was a great oh, show. Oh, it's incredible, wasn't it? Yeah, I've actually watched that fully twice. Have you really? The, f- the first series is hard watch, isn't it? Because it's like no budget. They did it on like little to no budget. Oh, really? And every, so like even the quality of it, there's only like four or five actors in the first series. And then after that, it just kicks on that show. It's like they went, that's actually going to be a great show. Go on, we'll give you a bit of money. Yeah, exactly yeah. that. All right, what are you on now? Two then? Two from four. Two from four. Number five, Mohamed El Shanawi. Mohamed El Shanawi. I mean, you had Mohamed Al Alawais, didn't you? Mm. Saudi Arabian goalkeeper. Yeah. Uh, I'm going to say. I love the way Rich was letting him take the flat. Yeah, sat back. Uh, you're going, I'm nothing to do with this. I'm going to say he's a goalkeeper. He is a goalkeeper. Okay, good he work. Is Egypt mm. and Al Halil. I nearly said Egypt. I yeah. even nearly said Egypt. Egypt yeah, nice. Yeah. Okay. Good, I'm happy with that one. Good yeah. work. Three from five. Okay, yeah, we're good. on a roll. Number six, Sandy Sanchez. I mean, I've never heard nah. of her. <laughs> no, nah. Or, or her. True. No. No. It is a goalkeeper oh, for no. Cuba and Atletico Pandoja in the Dominican. Sandy Sanchez. That's a great name. Yeah. Got a nice ring to it. Yeah. Okay. It's these names that are trying to throw you off. Yeah. I, it's quite bad that I haven't heard of a single one so far. No, not yet. No. Yeah, I didn't want to chuck the easy ones in. I thought you'd be like... Oh, if it was EFL, just name yeah. an EFL goalkeeper. I think that's what I'm going to have to change it to yeah. soon. <laughs> have they played an EFL match? Yes. Might have to change it to that soon. Mm. Number seven, Zhang Yiming. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, come on. <sighs> Zhang Yiming. I mean, well, that's, a top, that's a coin toss, isn't it? I mean... God, I'm letting you... 
Shan Yuming. No, we, no. we need Shan one. Yuming we need one more. Be, uh, one more to ma- to match Alex McCarthy. That's all. That's all I'm setting my bar at. Shan Yuming, I'm going to say is is an an actor or or a singer that we've never heard of. Not a goalkeeper. Uh, He's actually work. the founder of TikTok. Oh, TikTok. Oh, wow. Okay. okay. Nice. Quite a big name, then. Really. Very big. Probably, name. probably no, heard it. Proof, Very yeah. big name. <laughs> yeah. Right. Okay. Now number eight, Casio e Pepe. just me basically isn't it? Basically. yeah it's just me Cassio Pepe Richard has left the room <laughs> <laughs> um Cassio Pepe no not a goalkeeper no because that is cheese and pepper pasta do you know I nearly said <laughs> I bet that's something made up like a it's a translation I was trying to think Cassio Pepe right fine okay oh, that looks delicious it does it? yeah now this is for mm. the YouTube clip they'll definitely insert a picture of me eating pasta yeah. Oh, I get these cringy, like, mocked up photos, don't I, Ben? Yeah, the hockey goalkeeper the last hockey, week. Yeah, yeah, we've had you building some IKEA furniture. IKEA furniture was a favourite of mine. <laughs> yeah. What's Casio then? Casio, what's that? Cheese? Yeah. What, what language are we looking at here? Casio e Pepe. I'm guessing that's just cheese and pepper. Right. Italian? I'm going for pasta is Italian. <laughs> 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 I haven't done as much research into it either. <laughs> right. Number nine. Frederick Scram. Go on, Matt. <laughs> Frederick Scram. He plays in the Austrian league, I believe. So he's a goalkeeper. He plays in the Icelandic, Icelandic league. Icelandic league. He is a goalkeeper. Yeah, we'll take it. <laughs> I'm Good fine work. now. There we go. How many is that? Yeah, we've, had, we've, we've eclipsed McCarthy, right? Yes, you have. I think you're on six now. Well, we've got one more. No, you're on seven. Sorry. You are on seven. Yes, you're seven. Right. Final one then. Number 10, Scott Sterling. Uh, Scott Sterling. No, isn't he the lad? Isn't Scott Sterling the the the, fun, the guy who does the funny stuff on YouTube or something? Is that Scott Sterling? Is that right? You know the video that the, the guy constantly gets hit with a ball in his face? Is that Scott Sterling? Is it? Let's go not a goalkeeper. I, I'm going to say not a goalkeeper. He is not a goalkeeper. That is Scott is Sterling. It? Is it? Yes. This YouTube clip there went we viral go. of Scott Sterling saving every ball of his That's face. That's it. Yes. There he <laughs> is. Nice. <laughs> and Scott Sterling with the save. <laughs> Excellent. Eight out of ten. Mate, we'll take that. I think it was oh, seven. I think, oh, it was seven. I think it was seven. But... No, it's eight. You got the first two. We got the first two wrong. Two we definitely wrong. got one more wrong. Why are you trying to bring okay, the... We'll, we'll take yeah. eight, but I, I don't... Oh, no, I don't, seven, yeah. There you go. I don't, like to, well I don't like to cheat, man. Yeah, well done. Well, well played. Well played. I'm honest, unlike you. Excellent. Well done anyway. I did try and trick you. I told you. Yeah, that was good. That was good. I'm pleased with that. After the first two, you'd have taken seven all Yeah, definitely. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. 
Okay, yeah. right. I want to talk about your early careers. Uh, obviously, uh, Matt, I want to talk about yours first because uh, Richard's going to fill us in with the goalkeeping oh, yeah. stuff. So uh, obviously you started out as a journalist. Yes. For West Brom. So, no, I started actually. Was it Wickham, sorry? It was Wickham. Yeah, Wickham Wanderers. I started there as a you know, bright-eyed and bushy-tailed youngster in journalism. And I look back at that time, actually, and, and I definitely learned a lot because I was going into a, a football environment, which, as you guys know, cannot be the easiest for a young lad, especially someone who's not a footballer. So I was there as a... And it was before the days of, of social media. So I was just rocking up to the training ground with a pad and a pen and a dictaphone and... Yeah, I got pelters like I was a little lad, wet behind the ears. You had the likes of, it was at Wickham at the time, Roger Johnson, you know, big names, Danny Sender, Tommy Mooney, we were speaking about yesterday. Rob Lee came for a bit as well, someone who'd been in the game for years, Steve Clarys, those types of players. And yeah, I found it difficult, I think, to integrate myself into the group, but it definitely gave me a great basis from what I could learn as a journalist, especially within football. And I worked with some great managers there at the time. Tony Adams was there when I started. John Gorman came, who's a lovely individual. And then Paul Lambert in the last year of my time there. So I learned a lot, actually, from working at Wickham and working on a match day and just understanding how a football club works. And I think when you work inside a football club, you realise that it's definitely not the same as when you're standing on the terraces, right? You realise that it's so, so different. And I left there, yeah, I guess not under a cloud, but I kind of wanted to move on with my career and I then went into magazine work. So I worked in men's lifestyle. So worked for men's mags, lads mags. Did that for the best part of about five years. Yeah, which was incredible. Again, working primarily on sports writing, but doing a lot of features writing too. So traveling as well and doing quite a bit of traveling and, and going to various places to do some really cool stuff. I actually did a really good article that I remembered the other day on a robo keeper. And actually this is... It's terrible that we did it. We're being replaced. Well, yeah, because this was right after the England-USA opening group game draw. Rob Green spills yep. one into his net from Clint Dempsey. And naturally, as a, a men's publication that's a bit jokey, a bit laddie, you're going you're gonna to bite on that. So we did a big thing was, don't worry about it. Don't worry about Rob Green, England. We've got the replacement. I went over to Dortmund and basically challenged this robo-keeper, which was as German as you could possibly have imagined. Um <laughs> But yeah, did some really cool stuff. Rene Adler, the German goalkeeper, yeah. played with him at the Olympia Stadion, Hertha Berlin. That was really good. Got to take penalties against him. Worked with Ben Foster, with Joe Hart. Did some really good stuff there. Um, and then in between those times, I've travelled a bit. So just travelled a bit of the world just to take time out. And then met Rich and that's kind of where we've gone. It's Goalkeepers Union, it was Love Sport and now it's Refuel Performance as well. What was it like at Wickham and that interviewing players uh, a lot of people don't realise that footballers on a Thursday will just get approached that day saying you're doing press today and yeah. you, you probably only get 10-15 like minutes with those players and those players don't actually want to be there or do that interview kind of obliged to do it is that hard to get the right information out of people? Yeah especially footballers the, the thing that I've always noticed with footballers is that the bravado is always there, right? And they come into the changing, the changing ground, uh, the training ground, sorry, and they're laughing and they're joking and they're taking the rise out of you and, you know, you're, you're having a bit of a laugh and a joke and as soon as you turn on that camera and you stick a microphone in their face, like that, uh, yeah, no, the boys are just buzzing. Uh, yeah, we're just looking forward to the game. Just want to get three points and uh, take the shackles off and, uh, yeah, yeah, every, day, every game counts and just three points, yeah. And you're like... One game at a time. Yeah, well, hang on a second. 
You were the life and soul of the room a second ago, and all of a sudden you just completely changed. We're in exactly the same environment, yet you've become a completely different person. So, yeah, sometimes it was difficult. And when you worked for a club as well, because you're producing news every day, four or five articles every day, trying to find a different hook from what the player can say. So I was coming up with all kinds of nonsense just to mix it up a little bit as opposed to, you know, such and such player was looking forward to the game at the weekend. Of course he's looking forward to the game. Of course he wants the team to win. Of course he thinks if we do win, then it's going to help our season. So you're constantly trying to find just little nuggets, which now with social media is a lot easier because you can film them at the training ground. Yeah, there's a lot more backstory in exactly. that. And I think we're all becoming a lot more media trained and and used to having that camera and that spotlight thrust on you. I, I do think social media and people's own social medias have played a massive part of how comfortable they actually are now in front of camera. I noticed it with the young lads coming through. When I first came through, and I'm sure you're say the same, that we always thought the media was there to trick us into saying something that we shouldn't say. Especially as a goalkeeper, you never want to put yourself under that spotlight before a game because, you, like we've said, you don't know how you're going to play. I think I also found as well how, how you guys and the whole atmosphere changes completely on a match day, which I completely get, and you become very sensitive to that. You try and keep yourself as much out of the way as you possibly can. And again, in today's game, it's slightly different. I see the lads you know, on the touchline filming the celebrations. I see them as soon as the players come off are chucking a phone in front of their face to, to get reaction. But back then, we're talking, what, 2004, 5, 6, you gave players, and the manager especially, a wide berth. Half the time, you didn't even go into the manager's office. It's funny you say about tripping up, actually, I do. And that what it was that, like, I remember early on where the first couple of years, the interviews were fine, you have some good stuff that goes out. I always remember once, and this then certainly changed it for me, where I think it was the son, uh, A.D. Boothroyd had just got the job at Watford. And we did, like, this long interview, 10, 15 minutes it must have been, and we're talking about all sorts, and it was a real positive interview. And then there was one question in it where they're like, oh, did you know who A.D. Boothroyd was? Now, at the time, he was coming from, like, Leeds, 21s, whatever it was, to become the Watford first team manager. So I, I must have answered it something like, you know, well, uh, no, not exactly, but I've, you know, I've seen loads about him. He's top young manager, really excited for him to come in, blah, blah, blah. Then that whole thing ended up being a paragraph with the title AD Who. And it was just like Richard Lee has no idea, basically along yeah. the lines of, you know, Richard has no idea who AD Boothroyd is. Da, da, da. And that was essentially the story. And you're like, oh, and you can imagine new managers coming in and the headline is, a, you know, and that's where you're right. I think then there was that apprehension from lads where it's a bit, okay, what is the angle here? You know, and I think, yeah, certainly now with the players, I think where they they can, they want to control that media that goes out. I think even you used to think that managers would use some of the stuff you said against you. And like you could almost lose your place like back in the day from yeah. saying the wrong thing to the media and the manager would go, shouldn't have said that. Why did you say that about our tactics? Or why did you say that about performance? Yeah. And you're like, oh my God, I was only answering the question just, that I was just asked. Just trying to be honest. Mm. Yeah. Right, let's talk about your career then, Rich. Obviously coming through at Watford at a very young age uh, to, to progress all the way through at the same academy to then make over 100 appearances for that team. It, that, it's very rare that that happens these days. Yeah. Uh, obviously, it's never been straightforward for you. Like you said, you've had a lot of injuries. Uh, I want st- to start a little bit before that, though. When was the first moment you played in goal? So it was our team didn't have a goalie, Bedgrove Dynamos. Uh, it's a usual story. Yeah. I was playing left wing team didn't have a goalie and they stuck me in for a, a game um in fact that's not even true they actually chose another lad over me to play in goal so he played one then he got bored of it didn't want to play in goal so then I played the next game so it was purely by accident that's exactly the same story same as me yeah uh, just by accident it was like we haven't got a goalie I'll have a go and then that was it then I was a goalie yeah it's so many stories start like that and then it was 
yeah, probably a year or so playing for Baker. I was only about nine or ten at this point. And then there was a local uh, centre of excellence at Watford. So at the age of 10, 10, 11, uh, it was... I remember we had a scout came to watch a game. We won the game 10-0. I didn't touch the ball. Uh, but the manager said to the Watford scout at that point, oh, you need to have a look at the goalkeeper. And I always remember going in, first ever session, it was like one of these trial days. There was seven goalkeepers, 100 kids... You know, it was it was ridiculous, really. But thankfully, I played a bit of the game, made a save or two, and you know, you know, it's like you then go week in, week in, and yeah, ended up signing for them at sort of eleven years old, and I was there till I was twenty-seven. That's incredible to mm. have that longevity. Yeah. Uh, obviously, like I said, you played over a hundred games. You've had loan spells as well, um, which haven't always gone to plan. Uh, obviously, you'll be a big advocate for y- young goalkeepers going out on loan now. How did how did that steer her, your mindset almost? Yeah, well, do you know now, like my my path doesn't happen now because as you say it kind of it was almost and again we need a little bit of luck as a young goalie to get that chance mine was effectively the club from memory we, I don't know if we got relegated or whatever it was but we we're in the championship and they were making a lot of changes financially and we had at the time Alec Chamberlain Espen Bardson you remember Espen and then myself and then Espen was on a big contract so they were looking to move him on effectively I became I use this expression now almost a fake number two where and it was different back then because you would I don't, don't think you had the emergency loans and all that kind of stuff but it made sense to have me on the bench and that happened for a period of time and then it was almost uh, I guess that little bit of luck where because the club was struggling financially they were never going to loan me out because it made sense to have me as a two then there was an injury literally before uh, the first game of the season in fact if I roll back there was it was no it was actually the fact we were making progress in the FA Cup and we're in the semi uh, quarterfinal and they decided to rest Alec Chamberlain. I always remember my debut because it was, you know, I've been on the bench probably 30, 40 times and we're in the Hilton in Watford and I had absolutely no idea. And actually what had happened on the Saturday before, this was a Tuesday night, on the Saturday before we'd lost, I think, at home 1-0. Terrible result. And back then it was a bit different. Neil Ardley after the game said, come on, Rich, we're going out. And so he ended up taking me on a night out and had a couple of drinks, which wouldn't happen now with a Tuesday game. But it was a bit different back then, the whole culture. So I remember I came in on the Sunday and I said to my goalkeeper coach, Kevin Hitchcock, like he always loved the stories of being on a night out and he was quite, quite cool with it. But that particular day, he was really annoyed with me and I couldn't really figure it out. And it only then sort of clicked on the Tuesday because I get pulled at pre-match meal. So I had no idea. Four o'clock, I get pulled by Ray Lewington, who was our manager at the time and basically said, look, we're going to, we're going to play you tonight. We're going to rest Alec. Uh, Preston at home and what was what was good was that because Kevin Hitchcock no, uh, knew he told all my family and told everyone so they'd already arranged like 20-25 people at the game uh, and it was good in a way as well because you know look I've never played a, ge- a men's game of football really I'd only played for the reserves to then suddenly step into a championship game like I said it just doesn't happen now but the good thing was I only had three hours to prepare so I couldn't get too nervous um, and yeah thankfully the game went when I had a few dodgy moments I say this and again we spoke earlier about fine fine margins I always remember a moment in my debut where started the game had a couple of iffy moments and then there was a moment start of the second half where shot from the edge of the box it's moved on me a little bit I've gone to hold it it's basically gone through my hands and grazed the bar and went over you know and I always look back on that and then after that I made a few more saves and, and it ended up going well but you always look at moments like that had that have gone in do I play for the club again? There was another lad on the same day made his debut and never played for the club again. No, right. You know, and it's those fine lines, I think, as a goalkeeper, where you do need that that little bit of luck. Obviously, like we said before, goalkeepers overthink it. That Having that three hours to not think about it and not have any superstitions and just crack on probably did steer you in a great direction. Mm. Just alleviates all the stress and uh, the worry and all the phone calls and texts that you would have had to have made. Oh, I think if I'd have been told on the Saturday after the game, yeah, just that period of time where you can get lost in your own thoughts. And ultimately, like the way you're going to feel in a match is based on your thoughts in the, the days building up to the game. So, yeah, having the three hours, it was a bit like, right, OK, I can't, you know, what, what can I do? Just got to crack on and play it. And, 
yeah, as I say, thankfully it went well. I've got a few more games that season and uh, I think it was actually the following season I was injured, but then the season after that was kind of like the breakthrough season. Yeah, and you went on to have a good spell in the team then. Did you ever feel like you was the established number one? I know it's hard to say yeah, because sometimes you, you are put under pressure or you've taken someone else's place. And a lot of goalkeepers respond so differently to the two different things, whether they're challenging or sometimes if you're playing and you don't like to have a number two sometimes because you get in that comfort zone and you're like, I'm more confident when I play not under pressure. Yeah. And, and you know, I don't know which one I'd fall under because there was a couple of times where I was the established number one at Watford uh, the season before. So I went to Blackburn on loan, which was a bit of a strange one, but that was with Kevin Hitchcock going to Blackburn, A.D. Boothroy coming in, and maybe it was after the article he decided not to. Uh, <laughs> but he brought in Ben Foster, so I knew that then I was probably going to play back up to Ben Foster, went to Blackburn. But that season before that, I played 40-odd games in the Championship. And then the season when I came back, I was on the bench to Ben in the Premier League, and then Ben left, and then it was that following season. Mark Poom came in. And I played 40-odd games uh, that season. So it was probably two or three times that I was the established one. In hindsight, you know, you look back, there's always moments that had they have gone differently, maybe I'd have stayed that a little bit longer. Uh, but then in the end, when the Brentford opportunity came up at 27, uh, it just made sense. Where I'd, At that point, like I say, 100 games as a 27-year-old, I thought, well, I don't really want to finish my career on 100 games, you know, which could have happened at Watford. I could have been a two and a three there for, for more years, I'm sure. But going to Bre uh, Brentford, I was able to rack up another 100 or so and... Yeah, in the end, got a decent enough number of games. Yeah, exactly. That move to Brentford, obviously, you did from there have a couple of loan moves, but you, mm. you found yourself almost two clubs, really, you've played for. Yeah. Uh, and that's hard to do now, mm. to have that longevity at clubs, because our contracts now are one or two years. Yeah. Uh, and that's so hard. Obviously, I've had 14, 15 clubs, and mm. you just move around year to year, especially after 30. But uh, as we've mentioned, you've had a few injuries and I think it was an injury that stopped your career, ended it Effect short. Yeah, effectively. I mean, I it was more the final couple of years. So I had, uh, without running through all of them, we'll be here all day. But no, it was like a ruptured shoulder, four screws in my elbow, dislocated left shoulder, ruptured bicep, broken cheek and eye and my knee uh, had operated on, which was, yeah, ligaments my knee. So it was kind of, it was the last two years where they had to really manage my training. And the bit I found tough was that probably similar to yourself you want to you, you want to give everything you want to work as hard as you can give yourself the best chance of playing what well, it just felt like every time i went to increase the training load i'll break down again or it would hurt and then it, it was probably more the right shoulder i had quite a serious op i was out for nine months with that one and it then got to the point where it was almost a men mental thing i couldn't imagine myself making a full stretch save because all i could think of was pain and then when it did happen in training i get that pain it was it was when we almost started to then alter your technique to try and not get pain. And I just realized that last year where I was getting through it and they put me in for a few games. You can kind of manage games with experience and you can you know, get through your game. But it was my last ever game and that was, yeah, that was the moment really. And I didn't know this before I went into the game, but where I wasn't feeling great, uh, I was quite proud of the fact that in my career, I never conceded more than four in a game. That was the most that I'd, I'd ever conceded. My last ever game away at Dagenham and Redbridge, we draw the game six all. Uh, it goes to penalties. We win on penalties, funnily enough, but it goes to it goes to penalty. But it was actually after that, I, I literally didn't sleep that night and I went and saw the manager in the morning and he was really good with me, actually, Mark Warburton. But I just said, like, look, I I can't train fully. Yeah, I've got experience. I can sit on a bench. I can, But I'm just not, also, I'm not enjoying it anymore. It's been two, three years where this just hurts. This isn't what I want to do anymore. And You, you already had started looking for other avenues yeah. anyway. I want to talk about Dr. Cap as well. Yeah. <laughs> but you, you, yeah. you've you done, you know, I'm doing the journalism course. You, you were currently doing that at that point, I think, yeah. weren't you? That's right. Uh, obviously with Matt's background as well. Did you always see yourself doing more of the journalist side or the agency side? I know yeah. that Matt's mentioned that you, you'd come together at that point almost. Yeah, I, it, it was one where, do you know what, when I look back, I'm probably not sure what I was going to do because I think 
And look, in the end, it's worked out really nicely with the agency stuff. But it was almost, I kind of retired and I had a few ideas. And I guess a lot of lads go through this when you retire because you leave school at 16. So you don't necessarily get the education when you're younger. So I did, similar to yourself, did a couple of things while I was playing, which I was so glad that I did. And then, yeah, I explored a few different things. So I did a little bit of media work with the radio show, a little bit with Sky. Uh, randomly got involved in a coffee business, had the headwear business that, that you mentioned, a city information business. So for those first two years, when I look back, I think I was almost just, it's a bit of a scattergun approach. It's like, which one's going to work out? Which one's going to stick? And then now for about the last five or six years, uh, six or seven years maybe, uh, the agency, I, I just realized that, well, I know football inside out. I know goalkeeping inside out. Let's say not football. I don't know any outfield players. I'm useless <laughs> when it comes to that. But I know goalkeeping inside out. I've got a bit of a business background with a few of the things that I've done. I've studied a lot of psychology. So actually the idea of being a goalkeeping agent and being really specific in that, I can be excellent at this. That was that was it. And so for the last five or six years, I've just really hyper-focused in that area and set that as my goal to be the best I can be in that area. Because I, I remember you going on, Dragon's Den, mm. right? So obviously, I, I knew about you as a player because I was from I'm from Croydon originally, uh, and I'd followed your career anyway. But then when I seen you pop up on Dragon's Den, I was <laughs> cracking up laughing because I think you actually launched yeah. a shop in Croydon as well. That's right, we had one. Yeah, in Croydon I, I actually went to your Did shop you really? and bought a cap, so yeah, I've nice. actually given you some money. Wow. Yeah, love it, love it. <laughs> Backstory there. Yeah, yeah. Which, uh, how did that all come about? You, yeah. you investing? Obviously, at that time, it was Jacob's watches. It was yeah. The, the fitted cap. That's right. The fifty nine. Uh, uh, it was yeah. what Von Dutch jeans. Was it Von Dutch? Like yeah. It was. Do, do you know what that was? So my uh, my dad was involved in the headwear business. So he's involved with New Era, Michelin S, a few of these other companies. But it was we we opened that shop. So we opened one in Leicester, Croydon, and it was my colleague at the time just decided to apply for drinks. Didn't even tell me. Just decided to apply, and he gets a phone call. Phone call. And at that point, he calls me and says, "Oh, you know, had a first phone call. Went well." Then they wanted to do a. Uh, like a, a group phone call, did that. Then it led to a meeting in Manchester, did that. Then we get the call to say, right, you, you've made it. You're going to be on the show. So I was like, okay. So then at the time I was at Blackburn. This was the the funny part because then I knew we had a game on the Tuesday night for the, the reserves and they would play their games up in Morecambe and the show was in London. So the game was at like whatever it was, uh, eight o'clock. Wouldn't leave Morecambe until gone 10. Had to then be up at six or five, I think it was, to be at the studio at six. Um, but then it was also knowing whether we'd have the day off because you know what football's like. Yeah. You might have a bad result and get called in the next day. So I had to go and ask permission. So I've had to knock on Mark Hughes, was the manager at the time. I had to knock on Mark Hughes' door. And I didn't really speak to Mark Hughes that much. He was kind of one of these managers that would allow the goalkeeper coach, the assistants to kind of take care of everything. And yeah, I remember being really nervous knocking on his door. And I was like, Gaffer, I need a day off on Wednesday. And he's like, why? I said, oh, I'm, I'm going on Dragon's Den. And I saw the smile on his face because he watched the show, absolutely <laughs> loved the show. So he then got yeah really excited about it. It's like, absolutely, you can have the day off. Uh, and yeah, we went on there. And uh, when I look back now, I knew nothing about business. You know, it was one that we had an idea and um, we presented it. And, and obviously Duncan Bannatyne at the time, uh, put forward the investment but it was quite cool because it kind of gave if nothing else it kind of gave a bit of notoriety but that and the business did okay but it was more that at the time it kind of certainly alongside the football thing was a good PR thing it was almost one of the first times that a footballer had shown interest in other ventures as well yeah I remember obviously like you've had really high profile ones that have had restaurants and mm. nightclubs in the past like George Best and stuff like that but you were one of the first from like the championship sort of level mm. that was showing so much interest in different types of business. Yeah. Yeah. Do you know what? I, I, I guess that, and that's probably my dad's influence. Like he is uh, very, very entrepreneurial. Um, yeah. And I, I that was one. Cause I, again, I'd always watch the show and I was always quite interested. And I'm always, even now, even with what we're doing now, the business side of things does really interest me. So yeah, it was a really nice background for that. I mean, since then I've 
uh, went on Come Dine With Me. That was very different and certainly <laughs> not one that uh, I'm, I'm quite as proud of as the uh, the Dragon's Den one. But no, Dragon's Den was it was great. Right, normally we talk about gloves on this point. I know that you're retired now. Uh, obviously, you've worn a lot of types of different gloves. Matt, you've probably spoke more about gloves than anybody on this um, on this Unbelievably table. so, yeah. But we start our pod with, uh, you know, what, what gloves do you wear and yep. that you know what's your what's your favorite kit your, your greatest save yep. but the glove as soon as we we mention the word gloves it's it's yeah you, it just every goes goalkeeper up. has this fascination infatuation with each other's gloves mm. uh, i know i i do it still and i'm 36 years old i'll walk up to the goalie after a game and like shake their hand and not be going Oh, they're good. I like them ones. And he, I don't know why I still do well, it. I still look at their palms. And uh, it's interesting to find out what palms they wear. Like if they wear a flat palm, a negative palm, uh, if they like the, the gun cut, if they like a slim fit, no strap. I, I still find it really fascinating. Yeah. Well, I still, like my memory of when I, even when I was young, so I was a Sondico SMGs, if you remember the Sondicos yeah. back in the day, and they were quite a big brand. And I always remember, like, there was a glo- pair of gloves I wanted. It was a Roish pair, and they were kind of like, it was like one of the ones that Peter Schmeichel wore. I remember it was like, a, what was I, 12, 13, I think it was like 35 pounds or something. And I'd like put a plan together as how I could save 35 pounds to get these particular gloves. And then, yeah, and then obviously uh, when we spoke about it, we both uh, wore sales a lot, and I, I wore sales a lot during my career. And it's fascinating now to see where the glove market's going because so many brands now as well, like so many brands that are popping up, some real good brands out there. But it is, it's one that uh, I know that outfield players joke about it, that we just sit around and talk about gloves, but it's true. It's true, yeah. It's a great and, subject. And, and when we're in the dressing room, if a new, if a goalkeeper gets a new pair of gloves, you're straight over there. You're oh. straight diving in their bag going, what have you got then? What are these ones? What? Why have they done that bit? What's that bit about? Well, he'll, he'll tell you. We, so we, uh, we were with Thomas uh, Thomas Vashlik, uh, Huddersfield, yesterday, a couple of days ago. And he's come in, he's got his boots and his gloves. He's got the Adidas, Adidas combo. And I can't help myself. The first thing I do within seconds, I've got to put it on. I've got to put it on. I've got to try it and see what it feels like. And it's, yeah, I don't think I'll ever change. They were the ones, you know, the Predator gloves yep. that previously had the spikes. Yep. Everyone was wearing them in the Euros, wasn't they? It's the next wave, right? Oh, so right. it's more of a, a grip. But I see, I find that quite fascinating in the sense I get it on boots. I remember the first Preds, like in the in the mid-90s, had those proper fins on them, didn't they? Yeah, they did. But for gloves, I mean, for I guess for punching, but any other reason you'd have that on, on the on the top of your glove, what, what would it be there for? It's just aesthetics. That's all it is. That's just all to look it's just good. to look good. Yeah, just maintain the they brand. They can get yeah as much colorway in there as possible, as much logos as possible. Really, predators. The Adidas gloves are more to be designed to go with the boots, so that they look the part together. Uh, but obviously, individual glove brands that they they're just designing the glove that they like the look of or that the feedback that they get. And I've got loads of gloves up here on the wall and that. And like you wear Selzies, uh, you wore cells, but. I always worried about the latex. That's all I ever wanted was the best latex I could get. And that's why I've always loved cells. And I, I wore rouge for two years in my career, but I always, I was like, cells were the best. They mm. perform best in all conditions with all balls. And that's one of the things that, as we spoke about earlier, but changing your gloves for different balls with a glove brand that specializes in just gloves. I always found that they were the best at adapting more. Mm. Yeah. And it would be, for me, it was always the care as well. It'd be, again, memories of this, but... Uh, wanting to make the gloves last as long as I could. I'd always wear them, just take them into the shower with me and it would always be rinsing them out there, hanging them up. Almost and as well, that was always key for me going into games was uh, obviously you don't want a pair that's drenched. Similarly, you don't want a pair that's bone dry. So it's that. Can you kind of judge it so they're being left in room temperature so you know the next day you've still got that little bit of moisture in them. Um, but even that, like the level of detail to make sure you're going and then that get, to get that real ultimate grip 
you know, when they are just a little bit of moisture in them, it's, yeah, it's perfect. And if you left them too wet or in the dark, they would turn pink. The really good yeah. latex is yeah. used to. Uh, and I find now that leaving them wrapped in a towel, but slightly damp, okay. keeps the moisture in. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. But it also dries out the back. Of, oh, it's so it's like a science now, yeah. what we have to do <laughs> and how you prepare for a game. Did you have any superstitions that you would always go yeah. through checklists? Do you know what I did when I was young and then I, I binned them all? when I got a little bit older, but I had just, yeah, random superstitions. Um, yeah, like a lucky stone and all this kind of stuff. Yeah, ridiculous. Like I had to have this. It wasn't even lucky. It was a crap stone. It was it was, <laughs> it was, was just a stone. I don't know why I then yeah. decided that. But actually, I, I suppose I get it a bit more now. It was like, it's like a bit of a safety, safety thing almost. Like, oh, that's going to give me this. So then you have that belief that, okay, because I've got that, I now feel good. Whereas actually, if anything, I got a bit older. Just, just kind of, yeah, went to that mentality of that all you can do is give your best. Right. Uh, I want to get onto the agency side now. Uh, obviously, you, you play a huge part in the goalkeeping market, especially uh, through your company that you, you, you co-owned, didn't you? Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Yep. So you've done a lot of deals. Uh, we're currently filming this on the 1st of February. Yeah. What was the typical transfer deadline day like for an agent? It was crazy. Yeah. Look, it's the reason I look like I've had no sleep in the last month. It's it's true. I've had no sleep in the last month. But no, do you know what? It's been, yeah, it was an, uh, we had an amazing window really with, you know, a few noteworthy goalkeepers, a um, few things that we're proud of. A couple of couple of lads coming in from abroad. So Thomas Vashlik, Nikita Hyken. Uh, I think it was only two of three goalkeepers that came. I think Navas did as well. So only three goalkeepers came in from abroad this window. Uh, we were able to help with two of them. And yeah, the amount of loans for younger goalkeepers, obviously Dan Bentley going to Wolves. Um, there was another one. Oh, Joe Bursic, of course, going to Club Brugge. No, look, so it's been it's been a fantastic window. Yesterday was crazy. Um, and I was telling you actually outside, like it's, I must have made 250 phone calls yesterday because you'll get things that just happen on deadline day and it sparks panic. And because goalkeeping, it's effectively a big jigsaw. So you know if then one slot opens up, then another slot's going to open up and you have to then start to read the market. So it's knowledge of goalkeepers, although... Given that quiz, my knowledge actually isn't that great, apparently. <laughs> but it's knowledge of goalkeepers, who could fit, who could fit the budget. Uh, and you just suddenly, and so, you know, yesterday being a good example, uh, Stevenage in the morning had a, a situation in their goalkeeping department, which then suddenly meant they had to do something quite quickly. Uh, there was then another one up in Scotland, they had to do someone quite quickly. So it's finding quick solutions, which isn't easy because then you call a club and a goalkeeper who might have been available for loan two days ago might not be available for phone on deadline day because they haven't got time to replace them themselves. So, yeah, it was, yeah, like I say, must have been 250 calls. It went on all the way, literally until 11 itself, even five minutes to, I'm getting texts through, like, I think we're going to do this one, think we're going to do that one. And then uh, it's a weird feeling now. The only way I can describe it is probably similar to a game where you've just finished a really good game of football. So as soon as 11 o'clock hits, honestly, any anxiety I've got, any kind of feeling I've got, it then is that feeling of, oh, do you know what, we've done a good job. And it was, yeah, it was a good feeling. Is it like a giant game of chess? Are you moving yeah. pieces around so that eventually you can move your players into the right positions? Yeah, well, do you know what, it's because each one's got an individual uh, business plan. And this is it where I think, I guess what we do well is just trying to look at it. And if, you know, Joe Bursic's a good example, like, unbelievable young goalkeeper, like to have built the CV he's got in his early 20s is fantastic. But the moment you can just sense that maybe it's turning for him, it's like, well, if he stays here, let's read the future. If he stays at Stoke and doesn't play for the next six months, what does that look like for him in the summer? Well, his stock's going to be a little bit less than maybe what it should be. Whereas you go somewhere like Club Rouge, you could argue he's gone as a two to a two, but suddenly he's going into a place where they are desperate now to get him into that team, to become an asset, to maybe sell him for a lot of money one day. So even though it's you know, on the face of it, a similar position, it's a much better position because the momentum now is moving forward. So 
I mean, that being one example, and there's yeah, Thomas Vashlik to Huddersfield, another great look. For me, he's a top-prem goalkeeper, and I, I think he will be. But because he's had a, a bit of a shoulder injury, it's one where the timing wasn't great. He's getting himself fit during the window. So now all he needs effectively is a platform where he can show what he can do. Once you come into England, as we know as well, once you're in England, you're in England. And then to move around England is that much easier. So that was a real nice situation because it's a win-win where Huddersfield... Uh, of course, had the injury to Lee Nichols, got some top goalkeepers there, to be fair. But injury to Lee Nichols, felt they just needed a little bit more experience. So it's a big win for them. It's a big win for Thomas. They're giving Thomas now that platform to show what he can do. And then, yeah, come the summer, no doubt when he shows just what he can do, uh, he'll have all sorts of interest in him. So it's there's so many examples with each of these. So it's the knowledge of the market, knowledge of the slots. And like you say, it's a big game of chess. We've seen a big influx uh, of English goalkeepers and UK-based goalkeepers going abroad now. Mm. And I know you've been a big part, Jonathan Bond, uh, Phillips. Yeah. Is, yeah. Like You've moved a lot of these players out. Is there more of a market now? Because the market used to be, it was like English goalkeepers stayed in England and mm. there wasn't that pathway to go abroad. Yeah, do you know what? So I think, and again, each each case individually. So Jonathan Bond has an American mum, so has an American passport. So it was one where he was a number three at West Brom at the time. And I'm just sort of reading the future thinking, does he go from a three at West Brom to a starting spot in the champ? Maybe, maybe not. But actually having the American passport, if we can promote him over there, then imagine what opportunities it could be. And we had interest from Miami, New York, and uh, obviously Galaxy, where he ended up. So it was a different pathway, but it was more, again, looking at, okay, what's it looking like next step in England? What does that look like? I mean, let's be honest, living in LA, um, playing for the Galaxy, it's not the worst situation. Similarly with Dill and Joe Bursic and yeah, Pontus uh, Dalberg over to Gothenburg. And as you say, there's a few here, there and everywhere now. I like the Belgian market because I think it's a really interesting league where, uh, I don't know if you know this, but every game is at a different time. So they, well, they stagger each game at a different time. It's the most scouted league in the world. So... Uh, and every game's televised. So they do it like that. So it's quite a nice one for a goal to go and play over there. For someone like Dylan, where he's playing against Standard Liège, Anderlecht, Club Bruges, Ghent, Genk. You know, they're big games that he's playing. And if he wasn't going to play at Cardiff, which it looked like he wasn't, then again, it's a good opportunity to show what he can do. The market was similar when I came through, but it was Scotland. So mm. I went on loan to Falkirk. Uh, I think when I left Falkirk, they signed Scott Flinders. Mm. After that, they signed Tim Krull, Casper uh, Schmeichel. So the market up there for young English goalkeepers coming through, I think it was a lot more accessible for us to go and learn our trade. And I found Scotland was the perfect pathway for a young goalkeeper for myself because you'd play against 600 fans one week and 30, 40,000 the next week. I suppose that in Belgium, they're getting similar exposure. Mm. Yeah. It's, it's exactly that, like you say, and that's about a couple of good examples of Scott as well, because it's, it's so tough to gauge, like the, the SPL, where you have got teams that are Premier League, similarly, you've arguably got teams that are League, League One, one League, two, League yeah. One, League Two, so it's, it is that where actually that might mean you can place a goalkeeper who is arguably a League One, League Two goalkeeper in an environment like that, but then when they do get to play against the Aberdeen, Hibs, Hearts, Rangers, Celtic, they're huge games, and so then for their next loan, you can aim that little bit higher because so much of it, and it's that whole catch-22 where I feel for young goalies now because there's so many top young goalies, but to get that first loan in a starting spot where every single manager wants an experienced goalkeeper, it makes it so tough. So something like that where you can just go to an environment where you can play in front of a good instantly when you tick that box, it opens up a whole new market for, you, for your next loan. I know you've said it on your podcast before, but the exposure how how do you cover all of your goalkeepers i know you've talked about how many screens you've got and the 400 yeah, yeah. alerts but can you tell my audience yeah it's do you know what it's just time efficiency so i'm very selective as to who i work with uh now which i've always been to be fair but now in particular because it's 
I mean, yeah, it's gone. The last five windows, we've we've uh, certainly eclipsed anyone else out there in the, the goalkeeping world. And it's it's getting bigger and bigger, which is great. But then I'm also wary. I don't want to carry too many. So I have to be quite selective. But then for me, it's all time efficiency. So uh, I wake up four or five hours earlier than anyone. And part of that reason is I do spend a lot of time in Dubai, which I do that, if I'm honest, because I like it first and foremost, but also on purpose because I wake up at 6, p- 6 a.m. in Dubai which it's either three or four hours time difference depending on the time of the year. So I wait, effectively, I'm up at two in the morning. So that means I've got six, seven hours before anyone can wake up. I have got my eight screens. So I sit there with my eight screens. I can watch, yeah, 40, 50 games a week, which I try and get through. So it's just one is having the knowledge of everything going on in the goalkeeping market. Uh, yeah, anything that comes out and news articles, I've got strategies just to know if anything's mentioned, I could show you actually on my phone, but anything that's mentioned with Mark Howard, it pops up and tells me. So I want to know everything that's that's going on. So efficiency is key and build a good relationships, you know, just making sure that every goalkeeper coach, every head of recruitment that I've got as good a relationship as possible. And it's not always possible, certainly doing what we do. There's going to be times where you upset certain people. If a, a player might be going somewhere, then suddenly something else comes up. But it is just trying to, uh, be a good communicator and as I say thankfully it's uh, it's yeah it's gone well last couple of years uh, the final thing I wanted to get on to is obviously Ben Foster mm. uh, he is the shining light for obviously for people like myself uh, and what he's managed to achieve in the media uh, I want to talk about that Newcastle deal I can see the grimace in in your face but being labelled as a super GK agent yeah. as well must have been a little pat on the back as well but in hindsight, you'd have much preferred to have get that much, deal done. Much preferred to have done the deal, yeah. No, it, that was the, uh, I suppose, the, the silver lining of that. But it was, oh, it was a crazy day. And this is where the agency world can be crazy because, yeah, again, knowing what's going on in the market and knowing, like, that, that example, that morning I get a heads up from, it was actually both Newcastle and Everton because it was, was it Pickford, I think, went down and Darlow went down in the same morning. So kind of knowing that they're going to want to do something. And at the time, Ben Foster, you know, by far was the, in my opinion, was the best free agent on the market. So spoke to both the clubs, kind of realised that there was some interest from Newcastle. And then it all begins. It was it was kind of, I say it was like something out of a movie. We were saying, me and Matt, it was, uh, was it the film Phone Booth? It felt a bit like that because I was in Dublin airport meeting a potential client while at the time, I must have, again, made 50, 60 calls in regards to this. So calling Ben, Ben, do you fancy it? Yeah, I fancy it. Uh, speaking to Newcastle, does Ben fit? Yeah, he does. Newcastle, what level is it at? They're saying, is it a certain level? Ben, what do you want? He's asked for a crazy level. And then we went back and back uh, back and forth all day and effectively Newcastle got to the level that Ben wanted to do. So this had been from the yeah from the morning till about 8 p.m. And then at that point, I'm then having to redirect my flight back to Newcastle, get people to come meet me to get the deal done for the medical. And then, yeah, essentially half an hour after Ben, uh, me speaking to Ben, he's like, great, right, see you up there. He calls me and, yeah, Rich, you're going to hate me, but I've decided to retire. And it was just, it was like that. And I know Ben, so I knew the moment he said that, as much as I kind of made some arguments uh, for Newcastle, you know, the idea that actually if you did play for Newcastle, imagine what that's going to do for your podcast, richest club in the world. Like once you get there, you'll love it, blah, blah, blah. And I could sense he was un- still a bit unsure and was very flattered by the interest, but yeah, ultimately just decided to call it a day. Matt, what was he like behind the scenes? So I remember speaking to him that evening and Rich is the kind of guy, as you might have gleaned from over the years, he's never too high He's never too low. He's always somewhere in the middle, right? On an even keel, I would say, quite consistent. But that day, I've never heard him speak. The tone of his voice was just, yeah, you were low. Yeah, you were low. He's not. He's not been that low. I don't think. Well, it was. It was everything. Cause I think it was. 
yeah, again, a, a ty- like tiredness and, and you have like the emotions of a day like that. And that's that's the bit that probably people don't see in the agency world. It really is. You have so many moments like that where you miss out on something that looks so certain. And it does. It can it can hit you because it's just like, oh, you know, that was so close to being that. And then you start to think of, again, from our business, how good it would have looked to have taken Ben Foster to Newcastle. Now, look, thankfully, since then, we've gone on and done some deals that are arguably equally as, as big. But in that moment, again, it's so much of the industry we're in is based on the success you have. So you're looking at that thing that could have been so good. There's obviously financially it would have been would have been good. So and it's just one of them where you put, I suppose, that much emotion and effort into something and you suddenly have the, the balloon popped. Yeah, there's there's a lot of moments like that. And no, and credit to, to Ben, obviously, you know, and, and it's the bit with Ben that I've said this a few times, like as much as at the time, a few people sort of saying to me, oh, you must have been so annoyed. Well, no, it's Ben. Like, do you know what? Like, I've known Ben for years. He's actually been really, really good to me in terms of many other things off the pitch. And actually, I really respect the fact that effectively we're making the reasons or making the decision based on reasons for his family and uh, and obviously cracking on with his YouTube show, et cetera. Like, so I get it. You know, I, I, I can't have a go at him because similarly, I probably would have done the same thing. Fair play. Well, unfortunately, that's all we've got time for today. Uh, thank you, Richard. Thank you, Matt. Sorry you've been a bit quiet in that last hey, little bit. You know what? I've heard that story so much. So I was <laughs> yeah. just quite just taking it all in yet again. Yeah. Uh, can everyone make sure you go and listen to their podcast as well? I thoroughly love listening to it. To it. Uh, the GK Union. Uh, make sure you go like and subscribe that as well as our channel. Thank you very much for tuning in. Uh, I've been Mark Howard on the Yours Mine Away podcast. Bye, guys. Thank you. What a save from Mark Howard. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.